Hello and you're very welcome to The Week That Really Was with John McGurk and Sarah Ryan. It was the week when Ryan Tuberty's long reign of terror at the head of the Late Late Show finally came to a close. St. Patrick's Week. The president has been busy describing um, uh, all the, the disastrous state of the nation. It's apparently racist and xenophobic, which was an interesting way, I think, to introduce uh, our, our, our weekly festival. We've got a man going to prison in the University of Limerick, and we've a whole new form of relationships that are being discussed in the country this week. So Sarah and I are going to discuss all of those things. How have you been, Sarah? How's your week? Pretty good. Long weekend this weekend. Looking forward to a bit of rugby, you know. It's, ba- it's badly needed. That's right. Will we win? Sarah has family connections with the with the Irish rugby team, folks. For those of you who don't know, um, yeah, maybe I should maybe I shouldn't say Sarah, but but, but I believe I believe no, I don't mind. cousin. Uh, yeah, Sarah's James, cousin. James yeah. is Ryan is my cousin. Uh, yeah, we will win. I'm very excited. Um, no, it'll be great. It'll be great. I saw during the week. Um, I, I I remarked on it online that Mac Hansen. Uh, who's a great player, a phenomenal, phenomenal athlete, and he's Australian, of course. But he, he said everybody hates the English, which I thought was like taking sporting banter to maybe a step too far. Um, but I suppose he's Australian, and down there they take rivalry with the palms very seriously. So we might forgive him for that one. But I, I think that um, I, I haven't, I'm not a big rugby guy, not my main sport, but I've watched most of the Six Nations. I think we've been really 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 good you can see what's more more than the quality there's a spirit in this team they don't seem to ever have days where they're complacent or where they take it easy they go out and play every game as hard as if it's the world cup final from what i can see which i think is a really good sign given that there is a world cup coming up yeah very exciting i think it's the best they've been play they've played in a couple of years and um, there's a bit of momentum now so that's why i feel kind of quietly confident I do say, I have to say, though, I think for a lot of younger fans um, who've like, it, it's like being a Man United fan uh, in the 1990s where you're used to them winning everything. I mean, they, they should yeah. know this is not how it normally is. When I was when I was the age of like 10, 13, 14, and do you remember when Eric Elwood was the fly half? And we used to be yeah. lucky to win one, one game a year in the then Five Nations. Um, so, I mean, it, I, I, I just, I'm not sure this is going to last, so people should enjoy it. Uh, but my son this. is like, my son is much more into soccer and, you know, he's, you know, he's bizarrely six, but like he's bizarrely interested in Paris Saint-Germain, like the team. But, um, you know, then occasionally I'll ask about the Irish team and Irish football and I feel like saying to him, mate, like, you, at least with rugby, we win sometimes. You know, like there's a bit of, you know, like if you want a lifetime of heartbreak, stick with the soccer. But like at least there's kind of a, an outside chance or a strong chance that some of the rugby games will actually win. Plus, there's just much more going on. Like I'm not a soccer fan at all, but like I can't imagine anything worse than a nil all draw. Like after 90 minutes that you will never get back. No. Yeah, well, no, the same. You, ju- you just have to appreciate the tactics and the counter pressing and all that sort of stuff. You know, you have to get into it. Um, sure. but, but anyway... What do you make of Ryan Tuberty stepping down? I was a bit kind of surprised. Like, I, 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 I don't know. I thought there was a bit more, going to be a bit more time. Um, I think it's overdue saying that. Um, but I'm also just a bit like, this will now be months and months of sort of positioning and plomossing about how it should be a woman. And it'll be, you know, somebody... It absolutely 100% will be somebody that we already know well, and it's all very boring. I have to say, I, I, I don't watch The Late Late Show, but I, I have to say I was surprised for a couple of reasons. Number one, 
Ryan is a young man still. He's, I, I don't think he's, he's even 50 yet. I mean, the Late Late Show is kind of the peak of a broadcasting career in Ireland. You know, there, there, there ain't many ways for him to go up from here. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think if he'd wanted the job, he could have kept it for another 15, 20 years. So he clearly doesn't want it anymore. It's, this isn't a case of him moving on to bigger and better things. This is a, this is a I'm, I'm, I'm sick of this. Um, and I wonder whether it isn't a poison chalice for whoever takes the job next, because, you know, one of the things about the way broadcasting is going in Ireland is that the, the audiences for RTE in particular, but for a lot of traditional telly, are getting older and older. You have options now on a Friday night. You don't have to watch the Late Late Show. You've got Netflix box sets. You've Amazon Prime. You've Disney Plus. You've got the, I can't believe it's not Disney Plus. You've so many streaming services, so many different forms of media. But I think the, the long-term um, prognosis for the Late Late Show just ain't good. And I think and whoever also, takes as it a direct, on, Sorry, as a direct competition, you also have Graham Norton, who doesn't have the latest Z-list Irish celebrity as the guest. Yeah, he's got he's got he's got Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg, Spielberg and all the the yeah. the the, the A listers and I mean and and it's a more entertaining show. The interviews are better. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, the first question he asks people isn't and uh, what do you think of the UK? You know, yeah. the, the thing is, I, I mean, for me, one I can't watch the Late Show because I I find it very odd the way everyone who comes on it has to say how great Ireland is. To win the approval of the audience and the host, I just think that's an embarrassing national trait we could do without. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just not very good. The last time I watched it, I was in my parents' house. I think it must have been Valentine's Day three or four years ago, and that was when they started the Valentine specials. Oh, and I just thought, you know, they must be desperate for views if they're if they're if they're reducing if they're reducing themselves to that. So I, yeah. I don't think I, yeah I, I don't think it's a job anyone would want. But I mean, clearly somebody's going to be lumbered with it and somebody's going to be lumbered with it with the excitement of probably being the first female host, which... I mean, first of all, for a show that in the past was certainly at the fore of like some of the more cultural transformative moments in Irish history and, you know, was something that was worth watching. It's had a remarkable lack of moments in the last 15 years. apart from drunk people making their way onto the stage or whatever, there's now, there's not been a lot of interesting kind of, you know, moments that have occurred on that show that you would watch back and say, wow, this is really the moment where X, Y, and Z happened. But the other thing about it is, and I actually don't, I I don't watch it either, but I don't mind Ryan on the radio. Like the, the, I would sometimes have it on when I, after the school drop in the morning and I don't mind him. Like, I think he's a, I don't agree with a lot of his views and all that goes without saying, but I think he's quite a bright guy. And I would say that job is unbelievably boring. If it's boring to watch, John, it must be really boring to do. Every week. I, I, I'd say you're right. So you said something interesting there about, about, about how it's changed as a show. And I remember saying to somebody a couple of years ago about the Late Late Show, and you brought it back to me, that it used to be a show that challenged the national consensus. You had the old line that there was no sex in Ireland until Gay Byrne invented it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it used to, it used to, it used to touch the untouchable buttons and 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 eat away at sort of the the respectable mores of society in in a kind of slightly subversive way. Whereas now it does the absolute opposite. It is now a show that is 
consistently about reinforcing the national narrative. I thought it was really telling today that Michal Martin paid tribute to Ryan Tuberty for, and one of the things he paid tribute to him for was his leadership during COVID. And I mean, that says a lot about where the, where, where the show is positioned now. I mean, number one, that TV presenters shouldn't be national leaders during any crisis. And Michal Martin was, was, was doing himself a disservice in pretending that, mm-hmm. that an RTE presenter was leading the country during COVID. But secondly, it shows the degree to which the government believes it can rely, not, on, not, not by the government, I don't mean Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, but I mean the state believes it can rely on RTE and the Late Late Show in particular to reinforce the message in any particular given week. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's it's lost any edge it had because it is now constantly about, I mean, I used to say, it, it always strikes me with Tuberty that, that he has two modes as an interviewer. He has Cuddly Ryan and then he has Scrappy-Doo. And Scrappy-Doo is reserved for Peter Casey, for example. I don't know if yeah. people remember the time Peter Casey went on after the presidential election or uh, a friend of mine, Declan Ganley, once got the Scrappy-Doo treatment on the show. Um, the, the show, like if, if you were somebody who comes over or um, the guy who was Donald Trump's press secretary, Sean Spicer, do you remember he got the he got the, the punch in the oh, face yeah. treatment. Um, but if you're if you're somebody who who we like and by we, I mean, you know, official, you know, Ireland, uh, then you, you never get a tough interview. But if you're somebody who challenges the consensus, you now do. And that's the flip of the script from the way Gay mm-hmm. Byrne used to do it. So, so well, yeah, who do you think will get the job? <sighs> I don't know, Sorry, but yeah. just just on that, it's an infomercial for the latest pop woke, you know, moment. So whatever, whoever's, you know, the latest thing, that's who will be on on the Friday night. And I think what you're talking about, and I, it, I just suddenly remembered that when I was in college, I did some elective that I, you know, didn't show up to sign up for them until the afternoon. So all the good ones were gone and I got some Friday morning at 9 a.m., uh, class and it was about uh, feminism in Ireland or something and there was an entire lecture about this nighty scandal um, years and years ago where couples came on to Gay Burns Late Late Show to talk about you know couples would be asked questions about themselves and if they were able to give the answer that their husband or wife would have given they um, won a prize or whatever and the question mm. was what what colour nighty did your wife wear on the wedding night and he, the husband said blue or whatever and she said, I didn't wear an IT. And people were scandalized that like she had said that she did not wear an IT on her wedding night. And it was like a huge scandal. But we laugh about that now. But at the same time, it's exactly what you're saying, that it's moving Ireland forward and, and challenging the, at the time, conservatism. Um, but now it's completely flipped on its on its on its on the complete other end of things, which is now it does nothing but reinforce the liberalism, and yeah. that's that's the problem. And I think that you're absolutely right. It's not just big shoes to fill, but it's become, like I said, an infomercial for the government and for whatever you know. We have a a problem in Ireland with our culture, some kind of post-colonial I don't know what it is you could write an entire thesis on it which is the us and them all the time and it's this is the show for us and I think it'll be someone from the us because it'll never be someone from the them and it'll be somebody probably that we already know and it'll be all very dull I'm sorry but that's my prediction yeah I agree I mean I, I would put money on Claire Byrne to be honest, I think that will be my bet. Um, but Miriam O'Callaghan's a good shout. I saw some people 
saying Dahi O'Shea is an outside bet, and I actually think he'd be a, he'd be a good bet for the audience that the show has. Yeah. Um, but you know, anyway, we, we shall wait and see. It won't be it won't be um, George Hook. We'll put it that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, although the last time the show was vacant, I remember I remember a Facebook campaign running George Hook for Late Late Show host got something like eighty thousand likes or something like that. Because um, I think he'd be great, but he's probably he probably doesn't want to take on a job at this stage of his career, and he's not going to be offered it anywhere. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so there you go. Anyway, speaking of old fogies, sorry, George, the president um, this week issued a St. Patrick's Day message that was um, interesting. He said that it, you know the country was basically riven by xenophobia and all sorts of badness, uh, and that it was our duty to welcome. Irish people who are Irish by birth or by choice. What did you make of that? By choice. I mean, <laughs> I think he gives so much mileage to people like us or so much content of nonsense to talk about every week, every time he speaks. So last week it was about sex being sexuality being taught to its fullest extent to our children this week is if you identify as Irish you're Irish I mean why can't it just be St Patrick's Day why does it always have to be why do we always have to be shamed I don't understand this it's like have your nice day tomorrow but you should all be ashamed of yourselves because you're xenophobic and racist and you know there's always just everything is laced with shame it's just a day let's just have it like Ben Ben Scallon, uh, who works with me, pointed out today that, um, and I hadn't noticed this, that that it's it's, and it's I, I don't know whether this is important or not, but it's worth mentioning. I think it, it was that in his whole speech, he didn't actually mention the Christian element of the day once. I mean, it is after all a feast day for a Roman Catholic saint whose biggest legacy in Ireland was probably giving us a Catholic faith that effectively inspired years of rebellion against the English because they kept trying to take it off, take, take it off us. Um, and that doesn't get mentioned at all. He's, St. Patrick himself is now sort of just like a, a lad you dress up as on the day. He's kind of like an Irish version of Santa Claus. You wheel him out yeah. once a year, um, people wear a beard and a funny hat and, uh, and, and wave at people from a parade. But that, that whole element has been lost. But I have to say I was taken aback by this Irish by choice business. Because, and, and, and for clarity, I'm not somebody who doesn't think that you can, you can move to Ireland and become Irish over time. Of course you can. Just as you can move to the US and become more American and get American citizenship over time. But the word choice is an interesting one. I mean, you, you can't just wake up one morning and declare, I am now Irish and be it. Uh, no more than I can declare that I am Chinese and be it. You can't choose to be something that you are not. Um, Why not? And if you, Why not? I mean, like, the, this is the thing. I mean, he's he's reinforcing a belief system, which is that you can wake up and choose to be whatever you want. Well, that's the, I, I, that's I, what I, they believe. That's what that that's what a lot of people believe, that you could be whatever gender you want. You could be whatever you want. So why couldn't you be whatever nationality you want? Like, how is that any more absurd than anything else? Well, for me, it's, a, it's, it's for the same reasons I can't become a woman, because if I say I am a woman um, and the and the government, as it does, says absolutely here's a form filled in you're now legally a woman that implies that there is absolutely nothing about womanhood whatsoever that is exclusive to females um and there's nothing about about the female existence that is worth protecting in law it is simply a designation that anyone can claim and that and, and when you when you say the same about um about a nationality that means for example that there is nothing about 
Irishness separate from the piece of paper saying you're an Irish citizen. So for example, um, Irish music is no longer necessarily a jig and a reel. It could be somebody playing a tune on a didgeridoo from Aboriginal Australia. If they say they're Irish, then that is that is an Irish person playing their music. So there's there's no there's no cult, there's no recognition that a nationhood is more than a piece of paper, that it's a culture, that it's a, it's a, a language, that it is um, phrases, that it is that it is a dialect, even within the English language. I mean, there, there are things you and I might say that an English person or an Australian person might find completely unintelligible because we, we have grown up um, Irish. Um, and, and, and to say that it is simply something you can choose to be takes away any notion that there's anything about it that's worth protecting. There's anything distinctive or unique about it at all. I mean, I'm, I'm in Prague at the moment. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like saying that Czech people who have always been Czechs were not Czech when they were occupied by German. They were then German citizens or they were Holy Roman Empire citizens or they were Austro-Hungarian or whatever they were. They would say we have always been Czech because our national identity is more than simply what the head on the coin is or whatever, or what the, the, the banknotes say we are or what the king says we are. That it's, 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 it's about a collective sense of belonging to a people and a place. And if you can just choose to be that, then basically all of nationalism throughout global history becomes meaningless. I mean, I talked for a long time. Do you think I'm wrong? Or... I, I think I, I, I don't think you're wrong, but I just think it's absurd. The whole thing is absurd. I mean, it speaks to like, obviously, our he's he's our president and it's our national day. Like, just talk about it as a religious feast. Talk about, you know, it as us as a country or whatever. Why does everything have to have this posturing like, you know, nonsense about you know, like obviously everyone who comes here and, and 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 wants to become an Irish citizen in the way that you do, fine, great, talk about that. Talk about multiculturalism in Ireland and how wonderful it is and how that that's all great. But just it's the language of who I you choose to be Irish. It's just painful, honestly painful. I mean, you know, uh, maybe it's something about his ego that he wants the mo to be the president of as many people as he possibly can across the world but i just i i find him he's boring me that's, that's but we it. we also have we also we also have this bizarre situation where we've sent we've sent the entire cabinet this is the, the week of the year always i mean the, the, it's the annual present to the country of sending the government away so it's the one yeah. week you know that no no terrible idea is going to be announced but we've sent them to China and Australia and Hong Kong and South Africa and I saw who, somebody who's in Sierra Leone and we've got 10 of them in the USA visiting people who say they're all Irish um, you know, but, the, but according to the president they're not um, because if you if you're if you're if, if you're an Irish person who goes to live in Sierra Leone presumably you're now Sierra Leonese um, or if you're in China you're now Chinese or if you're in America you're American so on the one hand we're saying actually when you move from one country to another you retain your national identity you're still Irish your children are Irish your children's children's children in the case of Joe Biden are Irish but that doesn't happen if you migrate into Ireland if you migrate into Ireland all of a sudden yeah, you're one of us away the lads I mean it, it, there's this massive contradiction between the two positions that, I mean, will never be resolved and, and can never be resolved because it, as you, I think, pointed out, it's not a logical position. It's just an emotional virtue signaling 
disposition that they have. And and it comes back down to the same thing over and over again. It was the same last week. It was the same the week before that. And every time the president comes out and makes one of these speeches that nobody ever challenges him. So he gets to say whatever he wants. It's it's bizarre state of affairs. I mean, why is that, do you think? I presume it's because they all think he's more popular than they are. So they'd lose a fight if they pick one with him. So it's just, I mean, I've talked to politicians who tell you that they all quietly roll their eyes when he speaks. But, but even if it uh, wasn't they, politicians, John, even if it was a journalist, it's just it's just an absolute chronic lack of testicular fortitude when it comes to calling out the president on anything he does ever. Well, I hope somebody like Peter Casey runs again next time. And I hope the electorate is, you know, the way the Irish electorate occasionally gets into one of those moods, very occasionally, <laughs> yeah. where they're like, you know what, the hell with this. We're going to do something mad. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and I, I hope they do. I hope they do something mad. I hope, I hope they, no disrespect to Peter Casey, I don't think he'd be mad to elect him president, but I think a lot of the voters might think of it as sort of an exotic thing to do. But I hope there they are, do it. There are certain hope, things that we do as an electorate and as a people that I just love, like this, that I have a fondness for, and that's one of them. Mad stuff. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let's have a go. And then also, like, really weird little things that no one from any other country would ever be able to understand. But I get hysterical and absolutely love that we have the exact same thing every year. Like Joe Duffy, every year, the day after Halloween, we'll have an entire thing about, oh, it's terrible, Joe, the bonfire, the fire. Like, oh, my God, the junior cert results came out, Joe. It was terrible, Joe. They were all drink. It's the same, like, every year. The same stuff. Oh, Joe, it was terrible. We never learned. And then it used to be Good Friday. And then they took that away. And I was so sad because I loved the Irish spirit of finding a way around Good Friday drinking, whether it was people buying train tickets because they were able to drink in the pub in the train station or the airport, or my other half, Keith, brought me on a boat down the river one time because technically <laughs> if you're in the water, you're allowed to drink. You know, that barge restaurant thing. Yeah. Like, I love the spirit. I love there's just the certain things that we do as a nation that I love. And sometimes having a bit of a having a bit of a fit or a tantrum around some kind of election amuses me no end. And it would like, like I thought Peter Casey was one of the, like it, that whole presidential campaign was one of my favorite like episodes of, of, of politics. What, do you remember when they were doing a debate and they were all asked, would you be fine with travelers moving into the house next door to you? And they all said, yes, I'd be totally fine with it. And he was the only one who said he wouldn't. And you could tell they were all lying. And it was just, yeah. it was just, <laughs> completely absurd like, like yeah. i get hysterical even thinking about it. Like <laughs> it was just it was so ridiculous good. and like it, we have these moments where we do these things and i just hopefully the next presidential election because it's been a while since we've done something mad and i, I i'm all so, i'm here for it john i'm here for it so 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 you you bring back memories there i remember when i was 18 um i was working in the hillgrove hotel in monaghan i was a barman it was my first ever job I enjoyed most of the job apart from having to make people white coffees. I never understood why people wanted white <laughs> coffees. They've gone now. I think people just have like uh, flat whites or yeah. something else that are easier to make. But in those days, it was a very complicated thing to make. But anyway, I, I digress. On Good Friday every year, because the hotel was closed and the bar couldn't be opened, the, literally management took all of us, the staff, off to some sister hotel in Northern Ireland and let us drink like mad for the day. It yeah. was, it was, it, it was good, Friday. like, in Good Friday, 
when I was young, the, the, you, you, you actually went out and drank more because you weren't allowed to drink. It was the that drunkest was, day of the year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there was there was spirit and there was crack in it and that's all gone now. Now it's just another day. Um yeah. and I don't I don't know about you, but I probably won't have a drink, not because not of any protest, just because it's not it's not it's boring now. Um yeah, no, so, it, so, it yeah. Was, yeah. So anyway, it's it's fascinating. But on the president, I, I mean I just don't um yeah, I, I don't know who's listening to him really. I, I think it's one of those ones where there's the, you know, the media hang on his every word. There's, you know, if you go on social media, you see the people who hang on his every word, but they're the people who voted for him, probably voted from when he was a, or would have voted from when he was in labor. I think most people, when they were voting for him, the first time it was because every other candidate imploded. You know, Sean Gallagher had an issue late in the campaign. David Norris had won early in the campaign. I mean, he was on about nine, 10%, if you remember during that campaign, right the way up until the last week when prime time gave him the leg over by taking out Sean Gallagher. And uh, the second time around, he was the incumbent and people felt there was no need to change the horses. But I don't think, there's this idea that he's beloved. I don't think he's beloved. I think a lot of people just tolerate him um, and roll their eyes, like I say, and think, you know, he can be funny from time to time. But I don't think, um, I don't think he's this beloved national heroic figure that he's presented to be. Uh, I think, I think the media make a meal out of that. Um, and I think I think incidents like today with what he said will draw a line under that again for people. I, I don't think he's I, I, I don't I think I think the image of Michael D is this beloved man of people. I don't think that stacks up with public perception of him at all, really. And I, I just do don't you, think that comes across. Do you not have a tea cozy at home with his head on it? No, but I don't think many people do. I think that's, again, a one or two percent proposition. I mean, the kind of people I mean, if you go into somebody's house, and you see a Michael T. Higgins tea cozy you know the kind of people you're dealing with straight away i mean it's like i wrote a piece i wrote a piece last week where i said that for a lot of people um in sort of the irish establishment now, nowadays he's like the modern equivalent of the picture of pope paul the sixth on the wall if you went into a house in about 1978 in ireland and you saw a picture of the pope on the wall and maybe john f kennedy on the other one you knew you were dealing with respectable people this was a respectable Irish household who engaged in respectable Irish practices. Um, and, you know, these were their icons. And I think Michael D plays that role. He's kind of like a secular pope for the Irish establishment at this stage. He, he's, 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 he's their moral leader. He's sort of a Dalai Lama type figure where you, you look up to him and he's an icon and he doesn't actually have any power, but he occasionally issues a moral missive from the Aorus on great occasions of state. I, mean, I, I think that's the kind of role he plays in the sort of firmament of the Irish establishment. Maybe I'm over-egging the pudding there, but I think I think he's he's less a political figure than he's kind of like this, this lefty icon for people who, who who are in our NGOs and in the in the journalism and in the political parties. I think he's just this kind of almost spiritual figure for a lot of them because they're not religious, um, and so they, they need some kind of spiritual totem, and I think that's what he is. Yeah, I think he's also, like, his, that, his, his niche is more and more crowded um, with people, you know, all trying to outwoke and outcool each other, and uh, he's less of a novelty than he used to be. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of which, did you see this week uh, Paul Murphy... Um, Speaking of people who are so woke, uh, calling his child 
are raising his child as non-gender, non-binary, what? I don't even know. This um, is a child he called it in a national newspaper. <clears throat> I was choosing my words there so as to try to avoid using that word for a baby. But yes, um, utterly, I mean, bizarre. See, I, I don't really, I, I'll, I'll say something, I don't really believe I mean, I think Paul is the classic, uh, I mean, in his own way, if you, if you step back a little bit from Paul, he's a remarkably brilliant troll. Because I don't think Paul, I, th I don't think Paul, it's not that I'm not accusing him of not believing in socialism. Of course he believes in socialism and all that. But I, but I don't think he believes that the revolution is imminent. I think he delights a little bit in shocking people. I think he delights in offending a certain segment he would say the, the right-wing bigoted segment of Irish society I think he delights in that um and do I believe that at home he refers to his baby as it no I don't do I think he's he's really going to go around telling the child that it can decide what gender it is no I don't I don't really believe that either I mean maybe he will um but it strikes me that that interview was more about getting a rise out of people like you and me than it was about, I mean, because I presume that at the back of Paul, whatever his political views are, he's, he must be a loving dad. He's, he's had this child. I trust that like everybody who has a child, regardless of their political views, he's of going course. to, the child is going to be the center of his, his world. I, I don't really believe, or maybe I just don't want to believe that his ideology is so central to his being that he would set out to tell uh, his young, child that it's up to him to decide whether he's a boy or a girl I don't really believe that I think I, I'm sort of in the middle on that I think ultimately I think he does believe it to a point I think he will he's a you know I have three children he's a relatively new parent I'm not saying I know it all about parenting quite the contrary but I've been a parent a lot longer than he has I think his child himself will show him what a load of nonsense that is pretty fast um in 99.99999% of cases that child will you know figure out pretty quickly what they are and aren't um so i think the child will show him that that's absurd but i don't know i mean keith and i have this conversation about people in politics and different things all the time about their ideology and you know we talk about how like i have more respect for people who deeply and profoundly feel an ideology and believe it. But I think that there's an awful lot of people who are in fact deeply cynical and don't believe anything really that they're saying, but say it because it's of the moment and whatever you're having yourself merchants and pretend to think a certain way. But I think that he will keep that going for a while. And I think he thinks that he's doing something to you know, help his child or subvert some kind of societal pressures or I don't really know. But I think, you know, most of the time, like I have two sons and a daughter. My sons are six and four. They were never, it was never suggested to them that any toy or anything like that was bought for them. And they just decide for themselves. Like, you know, they make it very obvious what they are, are and aren't into. And I think that the child will be a boy and this will all be in the past and Paul himself will probably realize that it's a bit 
of a nonsense really to do that. If your child comes to you at a later stage and says that they want to change their gender, that's a different conversation. But to be pretending and calling your baby it and all of that, I think is hopefully attention seeking, um, but possibly part of a sincerely held ideological position that I just fundamentally disagree with, with every fiber of my being. It's so funny that I remember about 10 years ago, um, I remember speaking of Ryan Tuberty, I remember the, the Late Late Toy Show, there was uproar um, for a couple of years in a row about the gender stereotyping of toys, that uh, the boys would always come out with their action man and the girls would always come out with their Barbie. And this was terrible because we should be sending the message that you could be a boy and like Barbie and you could be a girl and really like the Avengers or whatever it was. And it, it's amazing to me that that ideology has completely flipped so quickly. Whereas now if you're a boy and you like Barbie, or you're a girl and you like um, the Avengers or whoever it may be, um, all of a sudden uh, you're not just a, a child exploring that, you know, gender non-conforming um, yeah. tomboyish stereotypes. You now might be a boy or you now yeah. might be a girl because you, you know, it's it's astonishing to me how that has flipped so quickly and so toxically. And I hopefully it'll, I, I'm hoping that this is a, a short phase where, where it'll flip back relatively quickly because I think it this is this is the one issue where I think you and I are in a 90-10 majority with the public. I think most people think this stuff is bananas. I, uh, and, I, and I don't I don't believe that I mix only with people that I agree with, if you know what I mean. Like so I'm uh, a, a number of social groups that I'm in, for example, I'm a bridesmaid in a wedding in the summer. Um a number of bridesmaids I was out for drinks with them a couple of weeks ago all completely different backgrounds and you know jobs and whatever we were discussing it there's been a couple of other situations neighbors different things I have yet to meet somebody who agrees with this and I don't think that I'm some kind of you know intimidation you know or that there's any space in the conversation where they feel like they can't say anything I think people tread into these conversations very carefully they try and suss out what the other people think and then there you can literally pinpoint the moment where they get honest and they say oh well I don't want my I don't want primary school kids to be taught this I don't believe this I don't know what this is I don't understand it but I'm very concerned about x y and z and I have yet to meet person a person and um particularly funnily enough some of my gay friends um 100 of my gay friends that I have discussed this with are very concerned about this kind of thing. So we'll see. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think we're in the 90-10 majority. It's just that it's a silent majority. It's an interesting... I, I saw somebody try to try to define wokeism this week. Oh, I saw Of the US. It. Made an absolute hames of it. But um, and then I was reading somebody who was trying to, trying to say what she should have said wokeism is. And I thought it was a really interesting definition, which I'll mention here, which was they defined wokeism as an attempt to enforce social norms that have not yet been agreed so in other words i mean if you think about it, a couple of weeks ago there was a u.s cartoonist by the name of scott adams who, who lost his job because he said something horrendously racist and no one considered that particularly cancel culture because we all know racism is bad but you also see people losing their jobs or being 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 put under huge pressure in the case of jk rowling for expressing the views that little boys can't become little girls and that is wokeism that is trying to enforce by sort of force and threats and intimidation an idea that actually most people don't agree with mm -hmm. um and i think there's a lot of that about it and people are still a little bit afraid to speak up but i think the worm is turning at least on that issue if not on 
some others. But speaking of issues, because uh, we're getting tight on time, where the where the worm is turning, um, I was struck this week by somebody who, who I used to um, be on the radio with a lot. And somebody who I have to say, I, I want to say this, I'll put it on the record because it's true. Um, one of the nicest people you could hope to meet in person, um, Dilwaker Masinga. Yeah, very nice. Who, who, who announced that um, she was now, her and her long-term partner, Anne-Marie, were now in a polyamorous relationship and and engaged in, uh, they had a, a, basically a third person in their relationship. This is uh, the, uh, the second time I've seen this this year because there was another fairly prominent Irish pop artist who was reported earlier on in the year to be, be part of somebody else's relationship, uh, consensually, in a throuple. Um, and of course, um, Dill said this, she's on news talk, she's in the newspapers and all the rest of it. Um, and I think, again, like, there's a lot of people out there who I think are just scratching their head and saying, what is this about? Um, why is this being, I don't know if promoted is the right word, um, but like, th there seems to be constantly this, this effort to, to make the abnormal, and I use abnormal in its, its most generic sense, in that this is not normal, this is not what most people do, but to make the abnormal um, something to aspire to, um, and, and, and something cool and edgy and different. And I think if that tends to sum up the way we approach so many social issues these days, which is that, um, you know, it's, it's almost as if normal is boring, um, but doing something where you're having three people in your relationship instead of two is really exciting and fantastic and brilliant and something we should all think about exploring. Um, so what's your position on this? Are you, are you identifying any third parties who might be part of your marriage moving forward? I, I mean, <clears throat> John, there just has to be, <laughs> there has to be a limit to, to what, what I'm, going to be able to sort of pretend is normal or I don't know what the word is like I know I've met Dill a few times and I agree she's a very nice very nice lady a person a per lady and I saw this and I thought first of all I thought the language was really interesting she said she's coming out as poly polyamorous I just thought why do you need to like if like first of all Herself and Amory have two children and the children are relatively young and um, they're not, I don't think they're much older than my kids um, at maximum 12, but I think more like 10 and eight, something like that. And I, I don't think the public forum is a place for you to discuss anything to do with your relationship, to be honest, um, whether it's one person having an affair or, or the fact that you're introducing a third person to it. I don't get why you need to tell everybody about that for starters. And she said she was asked that and she said that the reason for it was that there was if there was people out there um, uh, you know, that she need, she wanted to normalize polyamory and that if there's people out there who felt like, you know, they were polyamorous and secret that, you know, they'd feel find the strength to to come out and tell us all about it. I mean, I think that there are people in Irish society at the moment who are relatively untouchable. And I think Dill is one of them. But let's be honest. I think that if a, you know, Fine Gael TD from Bally wherever came out and said that himself and his wife were now entering into a polyamorous relationship with a local woman, that he would be laughed off stage. 
And why is this any really any different? I mean, if you want to do what you want to do, like go for it. But I don't understand the need to tell everyone. And I think it's uh, I I think it's bizarre. I have some advice. Actually, I have I have some advice. I have some advice. If we have any listeners out there who are feel themselves that they might be polyamorous and might want to introduce a third person to their relationship i have some very good advice that will help save your marriage and relationship as it is shut up (laughs) do not say it do not suggest it do not say to your partner do you know what i think might really make me happier another person in this relationship because i i suspect i suspect um that unless you're very very lucky or unlucky depending on your perspective I suspect that is not going to be well received. And so while I would never question Dill's intentions, um, which I'm sure are noble in announcing to the world that she is now in a polyamorous relationship, I think that probably um, there aren't that many people who are, you know, uh, as a percentage of the population, who are going to say, maybe this is the life for me. Um, Because I just don't think, I mean, those of us who are in relationships, Sarah, as you and I are, know that they're hard work as they are. Um, yeah. and, and adding another person in is just um, a, a, a very strange thing to do anyway. But also, but, but also you're set what you're, what you're saying. And it's, just, it's, it's done with loads of things that it's pretending or suggesting that there's this huge amount of this out there and you're just being the brave one who's coming out and saying it. And it's like, well, I don't think there is. I don't think there is a lot of people out there who are in polyamorous relationships. Maybe I live an extremely sheltered life, but I don't think there is. I don't think there's a wave of people secretly living uh, this way. Um, I have a friend who is a family law barrister and um, years ago was involved in a case where the husband and wife had a third person. A thru- they were a throuple and there was another woman in the relationship and this all, you know, made their divorce very complicated. And that was unheard of, unheard of. This was kind of a subject to lots of discussion in legal circles because it was unheard of. And <laughs> this is this is the same. It's it's two things struck me. Like I said, coming out, it's like I don't know the need to talk about it, and the fact that if it was a you know, like I said, some Fine Gael senator from the back of of beyond coming out and saying that his wife and himself are now added Mary from the local centre to their relationship, he'd be laughed off the stage. They would. They would. Anyway, I think that's a good place to leave it for this week. Um, we've covered a lot from Ryan <laughs> to, poly- to polyamory with a lot in between. So Sarah, thank you as ever for joining me. Um, and thank you listeners for, for tuning in. I uh, want to wish you on behalf of both of us a really happy St. Patrick's Day. Um, and we will be back this time next week for another edition of The Week That Really Was.